0: The following podcast contains explicit language.
1: Like The Art of the Deal, everybody read The Who Deal. Who has read The Art of the Deal in this room? Everybody. I always say, I always say, a deep, deep second to the Bible. The Bible is the best, the Bible.
0: Most importantly, I brought my Bible. The Bible means a lot to me, but I don't want to get into specifics. Why, why do I have to, you know, repent? Why do I have to ask for forgiveness if you're not making mistakes? I figure it's probably maybe the only way I'm going to get to heaven. So I better do a good job.
1: Hello and welcome to Trumpcast. I'm Virginia Heffernan. On Trumpcast today, we are clinging to guns and religion. Okay, just religion, in part to throw off the assumption that we are coastal elites still crying into our lattes because we lost that election. See, Tommy Laren, I'm just trying to do your work for you. Today's topic is indeed religion, Trump's religion, the conundrum of how so many white evangelicals, former espousers of so-called family values, and I don't mean so-called in a sneering way, I mean, family values was really what they were called— So former espousers of good, true, normal family values, they voted for Donald Trump. And he's on the record as a foe of family values, a hater of the weak and disabled, a carouser, a mauler of bodies, not his wife's, a rejecter, no doubt, of those chaste Mormon undergarments Mitt Romney wears, a philanderer and a draft dodger. And okay, you know this litany. It's practically a psalm by now. But the former family values crowd voted for a wrecker of families. Huh? They used to think a single divorce or frisky afternoon on a yacht like that one Gary Hart had disqualified people from the presidency. But Trump is different. For their part, evangelicals have gamely tried to square the circle, and to do so, they don't explain away Trump's unchristian ways. Instead, they find in him other virtues. For one, he's rich. And as the Bible says, the tax-dodging billionaires shall inherit the earth. It's, it's something like that. And then some Trumpite evangelicals have gone so far as to make this elegant argument in likening Trump to Cyrus the Great, a pagan king, godless, a bulldozer, but an unwitting aid of the Jews who encouraged them to return to their temple and rebuild it. I find that one fascinating. To illuminate this complex issue— I turn to Reza Aslan, the religious scholar. But first, some announcements. Trumpcast is going to be live this weekend at the Tribeca Film Festival. That's Sunday, April 30th at 8 15 PM. Tickets are still available right now at Slate.com/slash live. So go grab them while you can. And join me, Jacob Weisberg, and Jamel Bowie as we discuss Trump's first hundred days and more. Again, Tickets are still available at Slate.com slash live. Also, the Trumpcast Book Club, hosted by Jacob Weisberg, has been recorded, and it's a great one. We'll be posting that show sometime next week. So if you haven't read Herman Melville's The Confidence Man, you've got one more weekend to catch up and find out what this classic American satire can tell us about our president. My guest today is Reza Aslan. He's written three books on religion, No God But God, which is about Islam, Beyond Fundamentalism, which is about religious extremism, and Zealot, which is about Jesus of Nazareth. Aslan's a member of the American Academy of Religion, the Society of Biblical Literature, and the International Quranic Studies Association. He's also a professor of creative writing at the University of California at Riverside. Okay, Reza, thanks for being here. My pleasure. So, I want to talk about Donald Trump, the would-be Presbyterian. He did go to <laughs> Marble Church, Marble Collegiate Church as a child or claims he did the church says they have no record of it but who cares let's ignore it <laughs> that's that's such a minor lie wait, wait
0: wait 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 do you think trump might be lying
1: <laughs> he's i'm sure no. he's misremembering i'm sure it's a mis- just a small error um but he but trump seems to be the first sort of floridly irreligious president we've had in a long time um, no we question. don't know if he's an atheist we don't know what he thinks about god he uses the word he doesn't use the word What do you make of this?
0: I think he thinks he's God. Irreligious is one way of putting it. This is a man whose entire life, I mean, the, the greed, the lack of empathy, the racism, the misogyny. I mean, everything about his life stands in direct contrast to what we have in at least the American political landscape over the last 60, 70 years have come to expect from a, someone running for the highest office, which is that not only do you need to be Christian, specifically Christian, but you also need to be able to speak the language of Christianity, the language that has the most currency for the for the masses. After all, we are a country that is 71% Christian. And so, you know, in a, uh, a democracy, you would assume that in order to gather that population to you to vote for you, that you need to be able to speak to them. And Donald Trump has, I think, turned that on its head. Now, I think it's a little bit more complicated than this, obviously, um, because the evangelical, particularly the white evangelical community in the United States, has changed dramatically over the last decade. Let's begin by just acknowledging one very important fact, which is that 81% of white evangelicals voted for Trump. That's a record. That's more white evangelicals than voted for George Bush, who was a white evangelical.
1: Right. And very vocal um, about it. That's amazing. And very
0: vocal about it. So what's, yeah. what are the, um, what, is,
1: what does that mean? I I, I mean, uh, so many of us yeah. during the primaries thought, well, he's never going to win when it comes to, you know, the states that we associate with religion and mega churches. Right. Um, and he did. Tell, tell us.
0: Okay. It's a few things. Um, number one, let's focus on the white part for a minute, because we can't ignore that. I mean, the fact of the matter is that non-white evangelicals, uh, voted 67 to 24 percent for Clinton. So this isn't just about the evangelical part, it's about the white part. And it's certainly true that, um, a lot of the, uh, the identity politics that Trump played with this sort of resurgence of white nationalism, this conception of, um, you know, going back to a time, quote, in which America used to be great, that sense of nostalgia for what America used to be. The very clear, I'm not even going to use the word dog whistle, because it wasn't a dog whistle, it was about as clear as it gets. It was definitely in appeal, range of most human ears. <laughs> yes, did. exactly. Exactly. The appeal to whiteness and white identity Uh, worked very well for these white evangelicals. Um, You know, Sojourners, a a, a, a liberal evangelical magazine, made it very clear. They said that, look, white evangelicals, quote, acted more white than evangelical. Mm. Um, And by the way, that still continues. To this day, two-thirds of white evangelicals strongly approve of Trump's performance. So let's not play around with it. Race played a huge role in the the enormous support of white evangelicals for Trump. But there was something else too, and that is that Trump had this ability to um, very explicitly promise secular power to Christian evangelicals in this country. I mean, I heard this repeatedly from, you know, some members of my extended family who are white evangelicals who did vote for Donald Trump. Um, You have to understand that over the last decade, decade and a half or so, um, white evangelicals pretty much lost the culture wars in America, right? It's over. I mean, we we were celebrating the end of the culture wars a few years ago, you know, certainly with the... Supreme Court's legalization of same-sex marriage. That was kind of, you know, for many of us, the end of the line for the whole back and forth between the culture wars in the United States. But that left, I think, a lot of white evangelicals feeling not just that as though they had lost the culture wars, but that they they had been left behind in some way. What you hear a lot from this community is this sense of siege, right? That... Um, you know, majorities of, of white evangelicals feel as though their very quote-unquote rights are under siege by America, that that Christians are being oppressed in the United States because, I don't know, Starbucks changed the color of their cups, you know, their holiday cups, or, or you know, because uh, of this whole nonsense about whether you can say Merry Christmas or Happy Holidays. And I think for a lot of those Christians, Donald Trump, very explicitly said to them that he would give them power again, that he would make them great again. You heard this from Franklin Graham, you know, these, this promise that um, Christians would be, would have the secular power to enforce their beliefs on society and to have a seat at the table of power. And it worked, okay? I mean, look, it's. I just want to say there's a one-to-one correlation here. I'm not just kind of, uh, you know, talking off the cuff. Today, Christians, white evangelicals in the United States have gone over the, over the course of, you know, uh, two election cycles. So, let's say 2008 to today. They have uh, gone from being the most likely group to say, That morality has a role to play in how you judge uh, candidates for office, to the least likely group in America to say that morality has a role to play in judging a politician. Atheists in America are far more likely to say that a, a politician's morality should play a role and whether they deserve the job or not, than white evangelicals in America. I
1: mean, that's incredibly rich. I think that there's some threads to pull apart here, maybe for me and our listeners, namely that it's possible that at least in the public square, as represented on Twitter, the moral life lives less in our sexual and familial practices and more now in our uh, relationship to liberal ideals, to in particular to race. So, you know, you cite someone for racism, but um adultery and abortion and promiscuity um don't register anymore. So, it's possible, isn't it, that the evangelicals when they say they don't want to be faulted for moral failings, that those moral failings are the ones that they get faulted for uh, which is, you know, intolerance and um and you know, potentially racism or um, regionalism, or a lack of worldliness or commitment to globalism, um, that those that morality, too, has been redefined.
0: I think that's a very sophisticated argument, but I don't think it's one that is at play for mm. the vast majority of those white evangelicals um, who voted for Donald Trump, because they themselves have made it very clear. I don't think that they're making an argument about, you know— um, an argument that's that's connected to their own sense of uh let's say nebulous morality in a ever-graying globalized world um as a matter of fact 72% 72% of white evangelicals say that there should actually be a wall between a politician's private and public life mm. now i just want to re- remind you that these are the people that we used to refer to as values voters so we yes. not, that's it so there there it is right there we cannot call them values voters anymore, because quite clearly, values just don't matter. I'm not, this is The data is there. They don't care anymore. But I will say one thing that's also important about this, which is that a whopping 74% of white evangelicals say that, uh, that American culture um, has shifted in negative ways. Right? That they, that I I used this phrase before, they feel left behind by the movement of American culture. And I also don't think that it is uh, a coincidence that people of color are making up a larger and larger share of America's Christian population. In fact, demographers say that by 2042, the majority of Christians in America will be people of color. The values, as we saw in this last election, the values of Christians of color, be they African American or Latino or Korean or what have you, are vastly at odds with the values hmm. that are being promoted by white um, evangelicals. And it all goes back to this notion that, you know, many white evangelicals, and this is a movement that's been going on for quite some time now, uh, believe that the symbols of Christianity, uh, deserve cultural dominance in America, right? This is the whole notion of Christian nationalism. America is a Christian nation founded on Christian ideals, and our laws and our morality have to change so that they are in alignment bi- with biblical values. You you've heard this argument for years and years and years um, among you know certain evangelical groups, white evangelical groups. And you
1: hear it. You hear it reprised a little bit by in the current administration by Steve Bannon. Um, even well, that's though that's exactly yeah, right, even though he's he's identified with the Catholic Church, and the history of Christianity in the us is so extraordinarily rich as you better than anyone has explained but um, but you know, Bannon is a Catholic on on a continuum, I think with Opus Dei, the Latin mass preaching I mean he's he's very very high church and would have been uh, regarded with great suspicion. By this the Protestant majority um, not long ago um, I mean you know Kennedy's still the first and only Catholic president Pence has made great pains to distance himself taken pains to distance him, himself from Catholicism in any case we have a, a Catholic very close to the president who espouses you know this clash of civilizations defense of quote judeo-christian values which taken taken all together don't conjure the image of either the mainline protestant faiths or uh, Catholicism which is heavily identified with uh with latin countries but this but whiteness but whiteness that it's you know whiteness? to to put yeah. christianity which in the US is represented by so many Descendants of empire nations who got their Christianity from missionaries, um, you know, including the, the you know the, the giant Korean Protestant sect, Presbyterian sect, or um, the many derivations of Baptist um, sect, and you know that was an extraordinarily heterogeneous population. And then suddenly, Christianity means anti-Islam.
0: I was waiting, I was waiting for one of us to say that because you're right. Like, you know, what does, what does the white evangelical, um, you know, living in the Midwest have in common with, you know, Steve Bannon's pre Vatican II, um, Catholicism? And that is fear of Islam. I mean, that's exactly what mm. it is. You know, Bannon has managed in a, in a brilliant way to wrap up the, the sort of sense of siege that a lot of white evangelicals feel, um, by giving it a name. You know, it's not just globalism. And by the way, it's not just Islam. It's also, you know, stark anti-Semitism. I mean, the Judeo-Christian thing is nonsense. That's just code word for, for, you know, you know, American Protestantism, really. But the, the point being that what Bannon has done in this sort of bizarre clash of civilizations mentality that he has brought into the White House is to give a name uh, and an identity to the nebulous fear that a lot of these white evangelicals have. And, you know, we're talking about Christian dominionism, you know, that's very much a part of Bannon's worldview. I mean, he himself, regardless of whatever his spirituality is, um, wants to define Christian civilization and to make it uh, synonymous with white civilization. And he's not the only one in the administration. I mean, look, you, you know, Rick Perry... Uh, is a member of the New Apostolic Reformation. This is this uh, organization that that uh, clamors for a Christian takeover of the entire United States government. Betsy DeVos is a member of the Christian Reformist Movement. This is a a, a movement that has for years been advocating education reform in America to, quote, advance God's kingdom. You know, Kellyanne Conway is a number of Christian dominionists uh, in, in the administration. Mike Pence, of course, is a Christian dominionist and a biblical literalist. And then I would actually say one other thing, by the way, that doesn't get talked about enough when it comes to Trump's Um, appeal to these white evangelicals, and that's the, the concept of the prosperity gospel. Are you, you familiar with Mm -hmm. the prosperity gospel, right? This idea? Yes, but
1: let's, let's reprise it.
0: Well, it's, it's this, it's been around for about two decades here in the United States, enormously successful. This is the message preached by these charlatans like T.D. Jakes and Joel Olstein, the message of which is that what God wants for you is material prosperity. And indeed, that material prosperity, this is going all the way back to, you know, the old Calvinism, right? That material prosperity is an indication of God's divine grace. So you look at a man like Donald Trump, who stands against everything Jesus died for. His very life is basically a spit in Jesus' face. And yet, his prosperity fits very easily into this notion of the, the, the prosperity gospel, right? That he's rich, he has material success. And so, it's very easy to just assume uh, that that is some kind of divine grace or divine blessing. And, uh, you know, all of this plays into this, this record-shattering support for this despicable man,
1: We sometimes mull on this show, let's face it, it's just me that thinks about it still, but about um, Trump's appearance, his aesthetic, his, you know, his, the gildedness and certainly the way that he manages his (laughs) person, you know, I, you might actually liken him. He looks not unlike Jim Baker and certain televangelists of the eighties. I mean, that, that was the sort of the hairspray, the talking straight to the camera, It's sort of, you know, reality television, having been on a few reality TV sets. One of the things that amazes me is that sort of Barnum and Bailey world where it's only the facade, like literally the facade, like things look like a mahogany desk from the front, but they're staple gunned in the back. And there is a way that Trump doesn't care about the underside of things, the tape on his tie and so on. So and that to me does suggest that relentlessly quite literally evangelical sales approach to religion that is in some ways intrinsic to Christianity, which is a proselytizing religion. It makes it easy to convert. And it's not, and I say this as a church going episcopalian, you know the 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 effort to lower the bar, lower the bar to membership, and also offer some sweet incentives. <laughs> I've also, for whatever reason, spent some time as a Jew. I converted and lived as a Jew for 10 years. And, you know, that's a religion that asks you to please not convert to it. And, yeah. uh, you know, so and there's less a tradition of sales. There's less a tradition of Paul, you know, wandering all over with Bibles, trying to make converts. And there's less an empire tradition of, of, of building empire through conversion I guess the point is that I think sales and Christianity go well together.
0: And I think you're right. I I would just say, I think, specifically in American Christianity. I mean, you know, Mm. you're not going to make that argument in Nicaragua, right? Nobody Mm -hmm. in El Salvador is going to pay any attention to what you just said. (laughs) But, you know, in Iowa, yeah, what you said makes perfect sense. Um, You know, we have so effortlessly married, not just capitalism and Christianity, but nationalism, patriotism and Christianity. You know, you have now today, as we sit here, 57%, according to the latest Pew polling, 57% of white evangelicals say that it, it is vital to be Christian to be considered American. And that's a astonishing number, except that hmm. 30% of just mainline Protestants you know, Episcopalians, Presbyterians, also believe that you it's important to be Christian to be considered American. This idea of the marriage of the cross and the flag, you know, these two symbols bleeding into one has been a part of, you know, American Christianity for quite some time. It's just that we've never had a politician like Trump come out and just explicitly say, vote for me and I will put power in your hands. This idea of like a, a nostalgia for white Christian America, the, quote, good old days. You know what I mean? Yes. The, yes. the good old days, Um, you know, when, y- you know, you prayed in school and no, no damn ACLU, you know, Jewish commies would tell you you couldn't.
1: I mean this the, the the point that has sort of evolved from what you're saying that I had not I mean I I'm undergoing a kind of conversion myself right here. Yeah. Um I hadn't realized that Christian had become code for white. Um, yeah. And
0: again, I just want to, one more time, just say we're talking about evangelical Christianity, right? Not mainline Christian denominations like Presbyterians or, or Episcopalians. We're, we're, and, and evangelicals, of course, make up the, by far, the largest Christian group in America. I mean, they, they just, they dwarf all other Christian groups in the United States. Um, you know, by some estimates, a, a, a full third of all Americans are evangelical, so we're talking, you know, 110, hundred and ten, hundred and twenty million people, maybe, um, and that's
1: far more than identify as Catholics.
0: Far in the United States, far, far more than identify as Catholics. Yeah, I mean, not, not even in the same ballpark. Um, now, but, but, but it's. I do want to say one thing that's kind of interesting about what you were saying, which is just about Christianity, not evangelical Christianity. We've seen this incredible pendulum swing over the last, I don't know, eight, nine years, 10 years. So, in 2008, 54% of America was both white and Christian. In 2015, that number had dropped to 45%. And so, you are seeing, I think, you know, a a, a, uh, sort of a contraction, if you will, of the white Christian identity in the United States um, because of immigration patterns, certainly because of Latinos. But again, when you when you go back to evangelicalism, you are still seeing a movement that is dominated by white people. Although, again, as I had said before, um that's going to change. You know, I mean we are seeing more and more people of color taking over the US Christian population, as I said, by 2042 people of color will be the majority of Christians in the United States. But I think this is what's important to understand, is that it's 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 threatening to fracture, if not absolutely destroy, the white evangelical community, not just because of the hand-wringing that we've seen by many white evangelical leaders, male and female, who are just decrying, decrying, you know this the the absolute appalling nature of support uh among you know people who who are following donald trump um you know right or wrong, but also because um you you're going to see um whites make up a fewer percentage of these evangelical communities, and as I said, people of color, be they evangelical or not. Have different values um, than than white evangelicals do, and so I, you know i it's hard to say where we 're going to be ten years from now, how this discussion is going to change ten years from now but but the moral majority is done, value voters are over, and Trump, in the way that he might break all of America, has broken the the white evangelical community
1: i mean it may be uh, that and I guess we got to wrap up, but it may be that the relatively short reign of evangelicals as synonymous with Christians. I remember first getting to college in the South. I'd grown up an Episcopalian. Friends of mine went to the Methodist Church. We were in New England, so there were Congregationalists, Unitarians, certainly Roman Catholics. And I met some people who identified as Christian, and I waited for them to tell me what kind. (laughs) but no they were just christian so i suddenly thought wow they've built a world where this is just christianity and they're not hair splitting over fascinating things like the schism in the episcopal church that 14 of us took an interest in <laughs> um, and uh, and but it may be that the that evangelicals that that that, that idea of christian as I mean as a monolith might resplinter along Interesting lines, possibly along racial cultural lines.
0: Well, I will say one fascinating thing to keep an eye on now as we move forward into this, you know, Trump era is the resurgence of liberal evangelicalism. Mm. Um, And I think particularly among the youth, you saw something remarkable happen um, at, you know, with Franklin Graham is that his students rebelled against him his students started you know writing letters um posting you know uh protests essentially saying stop speaking for us right y- your support of trump it doesn't fit with our values and so younger evangelicals are now i think starting to to really it's a day of reckoning it's a day of reckoning it's it's impossible as a as an evangelical if you're a white evangelical and you are looking at That 81% of your community voted for a man who has been accused of rape on multiple occasions, Mm -hmm. who has been repeatedly sued for sexual harassment, who has boasted of sexual assault, who has given nothing to anyone, who literally gives not two shits about the poor or the weak or the orphaned or... Anyone who, again, whose very existence is a slap in the face uh, to Jesus Christ, then you got to figure out what's gone wrong. Something has gone wrong. And I think that you're seeing this now. So, I'm really curious to see how the evangelical community itself is going to rise up and push back against this this sort of devil's bargain, power in exchange for morals.
1: (laughs) I, th- I mean, that is a, a great way to end it. As usual, Trump is represents a complete or has forced a complete audit on all <laughs> of our values in America and certainly our relationship with religion and morality. Thank you so much, Rasa, for being here.
0: You got it. It was a pleasure.
1: That's it for today's show. Trump Cast is produced by Jason DeLeone. The executive producer of Slate Podcasts is Steve Lichtai. June Thomas is the managing producer of Slate Podcasts. Andy Bowers is the chief content officer at Panoply. And a big congratulations to John D. Domenico, our voice of Donald Trump, who's just won a contest hosted by Daryl Hammond at Los Angeles Laugh Factory for best Donald Trump impersonator. He really is the best out there. I'm Virginia Heffernan. Thanks for listening to Trumpcast.